One in six UK women will experience economic abuse, which exists in 95% of domestic abuse cases. And this is worsening for victims since the pandemic and the cost of living crisis. Tomorrow starts the United Nations 16 days of activism to end gender-based violence. On today's episode, I speak to Marisa Bates. She's a freelance journalist, author, and regular commentator on feminist issues, covering stories that impact the lives of women. Marisa is a passionate advocate for women's rights, and we discuss how to recognize economic abuse, where to find help, and what is the long-term impact on survivors. Remember that we are not certified financial advisors. Information shared in this podcast is for educational purposes only and does not constitute financial advice. So today we're going to talk about economic and financial abuse. But can we just start with like some basic definitions for anyone who's not too sure about what it means? Sure. So um, economic abuse is a type of domestic abuse and coercive controlling behavior. And often if you're experiencing economic abuse, you're probably experiencing other types of abuse, emotional abuse, uh, physical abuse. Economic abuse specifically has just fairly recently been recognized in the law for the first time. And it refers to when a perpetrator, an abuser, uses your economic resources to control you in some way. So this could be to restrict them, to sabotage them, to exploit them. And this is all done via coercive controlling means. And really, it's done to control you, uh, to create dependency and to kind of create huge insecurity and vulnerability in your life. So when we talk about economic resources and economic abuse as opposed to just financial abuse, we're including all sorts of things like maybe it's sabotaging your access to education. Maybe it's uh, sabotaging your ability to go to work your ability to access food, your ability to access hygiene project, uh, products. So it's anything that we recognise as a kind of economic resource in our life, you're from your mortgage to your bank account, but also all those other things that we, we get, your mobile phone, your car, all those things that we take for granted that allow us to kind of build economic independence and resilience. Those things are attacked in one way or another um and it's you know it can be done with threats of violence if you don't comply or like other types of abuse it doesn't include violence it's much more coercive emotional abuse so that's what we mean by economic abuse and within that of course is financial abuse which is more specific to say somebody not letting you have access to a bank account or somebody um, not letting you have access to your own salary, or somebody running up huge debt in your name, which then you're being chased for. When we talk about abuse, I mean, and, and money, um, so I was reading, you know, in a society where money is power, poverty is the worst form of violence. Can you please comment on this? Because I know you did a lot of work talking to victims, writing about economic abuse. Yeah, I mean, it is a poverty is a type of violence broadly. I think, you know, it's a bit, it's a bit, it's a big old quote, you know, I think um, 
structural poverty, societal poverty is a type of violence. When we talk about it in terms of abuse, you can really see how the two fit together. So there's this incredible statistic, which is a woman who is unable to, or a man, uh, most victims are women, um, one in six women will experience economic abuse. But a woman who is unable to access £100 quickly is three more times likely to be subjected to domestic abuse. So there is this direct link between your access out of poverty and your access out of abuse. I mean, we talk about a lot. I know Vespot talks a lot about money in terms of freedom. And we can take that to mean lots of different things. Um, and, and, you know, and in terms of abuse, it's a much more complicated landscape than just, you know, because the, the famous, very problematic question is, why didn't she leave? And there are yeah. some women who do have the funds to leave and don't leave. And there are very good reasons for that still. But um, there are also a lot of women who are trapped um, with ab- abusive partners and cannot afford to leave and especially if they have children um, and that's of course something that that idea of poverty as a violence we will see increase with the cost of living crisis and we've seen statistics from organizations like women's aid and refuge who are already pointing out that fewer women are leaving i mean i've i know a woman who left in a a, a very um, psychologically and, and violent relationship 10 years ago with her two children with nothing but the clothes on her back and her car and she just said she said to me the other day I just couldn't do that now I would have had to stay yeah. now so you know and obviously the longer you're with somebody that uh, in an abusive relationship the the greater you will come to harm um so yes, I think you know when it, it, there is a there is a direct correlation between economic uh, independence and your physical safety often, um, and I think that's something that you know we think of when we talk about abuse. Typically, I think we have lots of ideas around it, and actually, part of raising awareness around economic abuse is that, is bringing in these connections um, to you know, how we can um, sort of protect victims by, you know, using economic resilience, really, or teaching economic resilience. Or, uh, I mean, again, the caveat is um, there was an incredible article in a newspaper recently from a financial advisor who had been a victim of economic abuse. So the, the, the important thing to remember is it can happen to anyone, um, and it's not happening to someone because you're bad at money. You know that phrase, they kind of, yeah. it, it can happen to all of us, any of us. Um, but I think understanding that link is really important. Can we talk a little bit more about the, the impact of the, of the cost of living on the victims? So those who already left and maybe those who actually want to leave um, an abuser and how the cost of living has made things incredibly difficult. Actually, you know, something that uh, a charity I work closely with, Surviving Economic Abuse, have said, you know, that actually for victims of economic abuse, every day is a cost of living crisis, really. Yeah. Um, and their situation is just going to be 
exasperated. So if you're trying to leave, but your rent's been put up, any money that you might have put aside to, to flee, you know, you don't have that spare cash. Um, one of the one of the common tactics of economic abuse is to run up huge debts in a victim's name. With bills escalating, that's even easier to do. You can run up even greater debt. There's just this huge vulnerability to all of us right now, but that is completely magnified for for victims. The idea of leaving just seems impossible. And, and what the charity I work with see has, is, is seeing... They work with another um, organisation called Money Advice Plus who are who advise on debt. And what they're seeing at the moment is, is really bleak. Yeah. You know, before the cost of living crisis, they could be contacted by people who had perhaps left an abusive relationship and said, I need help. And they could perhaps help them work through a budget and say, you know, this is how you could, this is how you could do things. Whereas they now... People from that from Money Advice Plus have kind of said, we've got nothing really left to offer at this stage. So the situation is just being intensified um, and it's leaving victims with much fewer choices of, of what they can do. Um, something that the sector, the, the Violence Against Women sector, all the different charities is, is calling for, is an emergency fund um, where they are asking for these kind of grants of about £500 that would just help somebody leave. But, I mean, it's still a very frightening, if you've got two children and you know it's going to be a cold, long winter, you know, um, and your savings have been spent by your abuser and you're in all this debt. You know, I've met women who are about to have their homes repossessed. Um, they've had multiple credit cards, loans taken out in their name that they didn't know about. Um, all their life savings gone, you know, absolute filing for bankruptcy. Um, and they are left with this um, to deal with. So if that's your situation anyway, on top of the landscape that we're facing, it is it is extremely worrying. Um, and, you know, I think even the sector as much as they, um, you know, you don't want to say there isn't help out there, there is help out there. But I think even the sector, because of the sort of compounded by COVID as well, is very worried about getting the help to to victims who need it. Um, And so, yeah, the cost of living crisis, I mean, and and, and it's hard for organisations like C and and other organisations because... It's such a it's across society, so everyone's fighting for the same attention, uh, the same spaces. Um, yeah, it's it's a worrying time for sure. And do you see this um, this financial or economic abuse only within relationships, or have you seen it coming from, you know, family? Maybe I mean we, we'll talk about how do you re- recognize you know on the red flags. But have you seen that in like the different um, circumstances? Yes, I think, you know, typically um, it tends to be in relationships, but it, not exclusively. We've seen it with parents and children. They're often harder for us to see because I think family dynamics are very different to, you know, 
that is a very complicated thing, uh, but we, we definitely have seen it. And I think, you know, I guess the similar thing often that victims in, in relationships feel is that it, it never really goes away, a bit like it doesn't with your family. You know, you're always going to, person's always going to be you're related to you in that way. It's an abuse that can feel like it never ends. And how do you recognize, like, you know, early signs, um, you know, so, some red flags maybe to, to watch out for? Sure. So I think um, if, you know, economic abuse is like other types of abuse and it can start in what may feel like a very loving relationship and it may be presented to you as a, a, a thing of concern. You're no good with money. I'm really good with money. Let me take. I'll take care of all the bills. I'll, you don't need an account. I'll take care of it. I want to take care of you. Let's put all, all our money together. It's easier. And then if, if, if you sort of say, well, actually, I would still like to keep, you know, some separate and that becomes a problem. Well, then you have to ask, well, why is it a problem? Or why are you causing a fight every time I say, actually, I don't want to close this account? Or, you know, yeah. transparency is really important and permitting your independence So if you feel that either of those things are like, well, why don't I have access to the joint account card? Or, you know, why is it a problem? Why are you suddenly starting to say, I don't need to work when I've always worked and I've always really enjoyed working? You know, I think um, these, which is, you know, it's easy to kind of say part of, part of the sinisterness of abuse and, and why it's so powerful is it, how it creeps in on people's lives and they don't yeah. see it happening. So, you know, it's easy to kind of say, from the outside, these are these things, because when they're being presented to you drip by drip by drip and often in a loving way, it's very, it's by the time whatever ha has happened has happened, you almost haven't seen it happen for those sort of victims and it's too late. You know, these things can happen over years. They can happen over years, they can happen behind your back. Um, it's frightening and it's, and you trust this person, right? You're living with this person, you trust them. And if they say, oh, we'll just put this in your name because it's easier to do. And I, you know, then you, you're, you're not second guessing them. Are there problems if you spend too much money on something? I mean, does he, does your partner ever tell you what you should or should not be spending your money on? But I think there's also, you know, things that we can do as people, as friends and family, which perhaps yeah. is easier to, to see. Has your friend suddenly stopped coming out because she suddenly can't afford to pay for her share of lunch Or has she kind of forgotten her purse again? Or has she stopped buying new clothes and, or, or whatever it was that she used to buy? Are they only ever using cash? Have they never got seemingly have a card on them? I think it's just being hyper aware if you have concerns of what's actually going on and, and how, they're, how they're kind of, what they're spending, how they're spending, if they're spending. Are they coming to you for money? Why are they suddenly coming to you for money? Um... Because often in uh, abusive relationships, we find that the victim will sometimes barely, barely have enough to live on, while the partner will be buying designer clothes, yeah, 200 pound meals. So if you're a victim, what can you do when you feel, you know, okay, it's, it's too much now, um, I need to leave? What are your, you know, points of contacts, first aid, and, and maybe you... As a friend, if you notice that, how do you approach this, this, this situation and, and, and who can help you? Sure. So I think if you are the victim, 
there is help out there. Organisations like Surviving Economic Abuse have so much information in different languages of exactly what you're entitled to, any benefits you might be entitled to. Um, At those first stages of trying to uh, leave and flee, um, you know, if you're in immediate danger, the first bit of advice is always to call 999. There is a domestic abuse um, helpline, a national helpline that you can call. um, And I think you can also message chat them and they can give you advice on where you can go if you feel like you're in physical immediate danger. If you're not going to to flee, there is still plenty of advice on those next steps and what you can do, what the support you can get from your bank, the support you can get from your mortgage lender. I mean, a lot has changed in a relatively short time thanks to the work of um, surviving economic abuse mainly. The awareness, the back, the financial industry has completely opened its eyes. There's a financial code of conduct where the big banks are signed up to ed- being educated and being informed. And so if you were to go into a bank and say, this has happened to me, you should be treated in a very different way to how you were five years ago, where you might have to tell your story three yeah. or four times okay. to God knows who. Whereas now there are trained people who will help you. Um, manage the debt, pay off the, you know, see what see what can be written off. So I think there are, you know, and all that information is is with C. Um, if you are a friend, the first thing you can do is 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 what all domestic abuse charities say, which is believe them and listen to them. And then how can you be practically helpful? Do you have a spare room? Do you have? Can you lend them some money? You know, I think what in that in that kind of first moment what people need is practical support um logistical you know can I pick your kids up from school or can I whatever it is um so and 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 kind of being able to listen without them feeling judged because I think a lot of victims come to see and I just sort of I don't know how this happened a bit almost embarrassed ashamed yeah, it's my it's fault. It's my fault. Yeah, how did that. I how did I not see this happening to me? And you know, shame is all part of what keeps abuse. Like it kind of allows it to ferment. You know, it keeps it quiet. And actually, there is no shame. You know, these people are victims of, of terrible, terrible, terrible crimes. So, and and also just respecting that it might take. It might you know, it might not happen the first time. They might come close to leaving and then they might not, you know, yeah. um, it's a very complicated thing. So, uh, but yes, I think mostly it's kind of just keeping our eyes open, you know, and not assuming perhaps because your friend earns well and her, her husband seems really nice and they have a nice house in Islington that everything's going to be fine. You know, this, this kind of thing is happening everywhere. And, and, also, there's what happens when someone has left, maybe the, you know, the relationship, maybe got divorced, have children. I mean, this like abuse, financial abuse can carry on even after the, you know, the relationship is, is over. Can you talk a oh, little yeah. bit about for, that? For, in some cases for decades. So wow. we call it post-separation abuse. Victims are left 
with huge amounts of debt that they are paying off because the debt has been run up in their name. They were forced to sign, put their name on loans, uh, cash loans, cars, mortgages, um, and the creditors come after them. And often they know full well that the perpetrator is existing and having quite a nice life. Another way we see uh, post-separation abuse quite commonly is with the child maintenance system. So um, the the parent who doesn't live with a child will refuse to pay the maintenance they owe. Again, often the parent who is living with a child, which is typically the mother, will we'll know that this person's got a nice house, got earning, earning well. There's big problems with the, what, the CMS, the system, the government system. Um, there have been multiple attempts at reform. None of them have ever worked. There, are, there is sort of um, punishments in place, but they're never enforced. It, I mean, that's a, whole, that's a whole other thing. But there are, and another, and then another big strand of the kind of post-separation abuses is the family courts and how abusers use the family courts. I mean, one survivor once put it to me with the CMS that it was the last invisible chain. And so what what abusers do is you use these, manipulate these systems to continue to control, financially devastate, uh, link. You know, we we see terrible things of when uh, abusers are having to transfer money to their former partner for child maintenance of putting uh they'll transfer one penny and then they'll put something really sadistic in the reference of the online Mm -hmm. transaction and it's all still attempting to control and 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 you know they may not even know where you, you physically are the the systems that we have today especially online means you can be connected to someone without even knowing where they are but it makes those connections so hard to sever. I mean, it has been criminalised with the Domestic Abuse Act of 21. But you then get into questions of how does it become enforced? You know, how do the police understand it? How do you prove it? You know, a lot of, a lot of uh, problems around partners not paying actually come down to them being able to sort of manipulate what they claim they earn if they're self-employed yeah so you've kind of got all these systems that they can use and they do use um and I think you know one of the most frightening things that I've always thought when I report on this stuff is abusers seem to be two steps ahead whatever the situation they will use it so they use covid and now they use the cost of living crisis and they can use you know the flaws in our kind of bureaucratic government systems and they can they find it and they use it. There's an incredible number of families that would be lifted out of poverty in the UK if arrears in child maintenance were paid. Incredible number. So it's it's a huge um, it's a huge and quite complicated landscape, and it, and it does I think it's important you know to unlike other types of abuse, uh, particularly physical abuse. You know when you flee, the physical abuse obviously ends. But with economic and financial abuse, especially when banks, and they're not all perfect, there hasn't been a complete revolution, you know, there is still a lot of work to be done. And banks and financial institutions and lenders can unwittingly aid abusers. 
um, and do the legwork for them. Um, and so, you know, the work is the work is twofold. It's sort of raising awareness of the abuse and then trying to get these big institutions to change a lot of their systems and practices. Yeah, because if you see the financial transactions, I mean, with, you know, algorithms and stuff, you should be able to actually see where the money is, is coming from. If, if someone is not spending any money, not earning any money, um, yeah, you know, you should start to have these conversations. Absolutely. And even things like, which is, is changing now, but, you know, a lot of banks were at the time, if you wanted to close a bank account, you both had to turn up to sign. Or, you know, um, if you'd had a joint account, you know, I met a woman once who'd had a joint account with her abusive ex-husband. She'd moved, she'd left him. And then she got a letter with uh, their joint with two addresses on, hers and his, which presumably he would have got. So then he would have known where she was. And just to, to finish off, I mean, tomorrow starts the 16 days of activism to end gender-based violence. Um, what, what can we do to, to help? Without sounding crude, often it's money. The cost of living crisis will impact all sorts of organisations and charities too. You know, uh, refuges are worried about keeping on heating and electricity too this winter. Um, so supporting, if you can, if you're fortunate enough, supporting uh, domestic abuse charities, economic abuse charities, um, I think is always however little that is, is always a really good start. But I think also it's just being mindful in your own life of the people around you. I think that's actually something we can all do and can actually go a long way because you you, you just never know what goes on behind closed doors. I think that's what I've learned from interviewing all of these women. They're all so different. They know that. And they're all so good at making you think everything is fine. And, you know, that's part of how they survived the abuse for so long. And so I think, you know, we can all just, if there is, an, if there is a nagging feeling you feel, to listen to that and do the hard thing. Don't, don't sweep it under the carpet because it's just easier to kind of ask about what they're doing for Christmas, you know. <laughs> um, try, you know, I think that's actively something we can all do. And that doesn't cost you anything. That's just sort of listening Thank you so much, Marisa. Not at all, thank you. We'll publish our takeaways and we'll include all the resources and all the charities on, on vespot.com. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of The Wallet. Please share this show with your friends and subscribe on your favorite platform. You can also leave us a review on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. It only takes a few seconds, but it helps more people find our show. Next week, I will speak about how to manage your money during the cost of living crisis with Timmy Merriman Johnson, an award-winning financial content creator, podcaster, author and founder of Mr. Money Jar, a UK-based financial education company.